graphic nature of this program. Listener discretion is advised. That podcast is for one ball. Introducing first, former ECW champion, Mikey Whipred. I gotta keep some semblance of order here. They can never take away the fact that I've been the champion. And his tag team partner, former ECW heavyweight champion, Jerry Lynn. You might hear guinea pigs in the background occasionally. And your referee for this podcast, Mike Freeland. It's in your contract in this show that you have to curse at least 10 or 12 times a minute. This is Front Row Material. Ozzy Osbourne blows dead bears. And if you can't handle that fact, get your chunky ass back to that concession stand and sell some snow cones. Roll it. Welcome to another episode of Front Row Material. My name is Mike Freeland. I you said, said episode like shit. Let's try that again. And begin. Welcome to another episode of Front Row Material. My, what? What was wrong with that one? What was wrong with that one? You got a little Peter Brady effect going on. <laughs> Pork chops and applesauce. <laughs> All right, fine. And right, fine. action. Welcome to another episode of Front Row Material. My name is Mike Freeland. I'm soon to be joined by the two former ECW heavyweight champions. The most underrated man in the last 25 years. Wait a minute. Dave Meltzer rates him. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Soon to be joined. We've been talking for 10 minutes. We've already joined. They don't- We're about to be joined by our guest. Introduce our guest. They know who we are. Okay. And go. Welcome to another episode of Front Row Material. My name is Mike Freeland. I understand, but you got to stop. You got to start from the top. You can't just stop midway. Do do it like you would announce him in the ring. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's good. Joining us this week on Front Row Material is one of the most charismatic, entertaining wrestlers that I can remember. He's been a huge superstar in the world wrestling entertainment and ECW, member of the Blue World Order. He is extremely fan friendly, very engaging on Twitter. He is the icon, the one known as the Blue Meanie. Meanie, how are you? About time. All right. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. You finally introduced me. How rude was he making you wait so long? Jesus Christ, it felt like Mr. Furley on the outside of the door just listening to me. My eyes are all bugged out. I was like, they're going to let me in. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Well, hey, hey, Meanie, I do want to tell you this. Uh, Congratulations on your Philadelphia Eagles, my friend, making the playoffs. Holy shit, my asshole just finished puckering. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's like one of those things where you, you, you're, you need, you know, help from the outside. And I, I'll be honest, I didn't think the Eagles were going to make the playoffs. So they needed to win. They needed to beat the Redskins, but they needed help with the Vikings at home, losing to the Bears. And oh my God, I sat there in the fetal position for about four hours. So I can actually <laughs> breathe now. I can actually breathe now. Jeez. But thank you. I know how much of a diehard fan you are, so I just wanted to let you know that uh, I'm behind Eagles Nation going all the way. Let's go back to back. Oh, dude. Dude, I'll, be, I'll go streaking naked down Broad Street if that happens. Oh, I'd, I'd pay to see that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, dude, after last year, it was like a, a dream. If this happens again, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'll do with myself. <laughs> like, like, here's the thing, Meanie. They, they won last year, right? After like years and years of just torture. 
Will yeah. this year would this year be a little anticlimactic? No, because last year, well, here here's the deal. Last year, nobody expected it, right? Right. And it, we we were all just watching these games and they're winning games, and everybody's like, oh, maybe. But you know, in true Philly fashion, we usually slip on a banana peel and then shit the bed. Yeah. So it's like, uh, okay, you're coming in next season. There's higher expectations, and it looks like we're shitting the bed. But then, like, it seemed like they peaked at the right time, you know, because, like, our defense was down to, like, people that were pulling off the street. I mean, in practice, they had wide receivers lining up practicing to be cornerbacks just so our wide receivers had somebody to practice against. So, and then they all of a sudden, the defense started picking up, and you beat one of the best teams in the football in the NFL with the Rams, and then you beat the Texans. All, I mean, all you need now is, you know, you know, the, for the Vikings to shit the bed and, you know, you beat the Redskins and you're in and, and I'm still, I'm still processing it all because if they win again this time, it'll be, I think a little bit more sweeter because they went through so much, so much adversity during the season. I, I just can't believe that the bears beat the Vikings. I, I, yeah. Yeah. On the road. I mean, yeah, Vikings, exactly. The Vikings lost at home. That's crazy. Yeah, and they did a. They showed a, a clip. You know, it's been such a long time since the Vikings lost to the Bears in Minnesota. So, I mean, I mean, how do you? And that's a lot of pressure on Kirk Cousins too, because they just gave him all that money. And you know, when they give the stats to him in big game situations, it's like, Ugh. so I was kind of optimistic, but you know, true Philadelphia sports fan, I was. I was ready for the letdown as well. Right. Well, you never know. I wonder, did, did the Steelers get in? I have no I know, idea. I know I know they needed a bunch of help. I don't know if they made it or not. I don't think they did. Life, I don't right think before I, I signed, they showed the, the, the Steelers at the stadium watching the Cleveland game or something like that. So I, I didn't see the ending of that. So I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. Yeah, I don't know either. But that would be bizarre. The Steelers playoffs, you know, they're a great team. Yeah, well, they had shitheads sit out all year, prick. Not, not that I'm complaining. <laughs> but I picked up Connor on my fantasy team just on a whim, so I I kind of got lucky on that. But I can't do fantasy sports, man. I don't know what it is. It's just something about me, you know, rooting for somebody that possibly on the team that you hate, kind of like, you know, makes me feel dirty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I was like, oh, I don't, oh, I got to root for this fucking cowboy. Oh, son of a bitch, cocksucker. Oh, no. You know, I'd rather just lose money, you know, just. <laughs> there you go. Well, in Minnesota, oh, in dude. Minneapolis, during any Vikings game that they were playing Green Bay, any sports bar you go to to watch the game half the crowd would be for green bay and half for minneapolis and i or minnesota because uh i think because the vikings choked so many times at the super bowl and last year too yeah Very uh, good. oh man that, that was that was they were so close to having the super bowl in their own stadium yep but uh you know you know if it means the eagles get in it sucks to be them but you know that's yeah, I, I, the weird thing is, I like man, I, I like the Vikings. I don't hate the Vikings, but uh, you know, when it came to the you know back and forth between Eagles fans and Vikings fans, you know, it was you know you know no holds barred. 
<laughs> well, of course. I mean, even just uh, just because of wrestling and going to a uh, Phillies game, I don't think I've seen any more. Uh, what's the word? Uh, crazy fans, crazier sports fans than in Philadelphia. A lot of those fans you saw at the stadium at the Phillies and Eagles games were our reason why ECW was so fucking crazy because they're the same fans. You know, the same, you know, people who are in the 700 levels throwing babies over the, uh, over the fucking, over the seat, you know, or in the, in the crowd to an ECW, ECW, you know. <laughs> when my wife and I, we went to a, a Phillies game and they were playing the Mets in Philly. And my wife's like, oh, I'm going to get a Mike Piazza a shirt to wear. I said, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> she, was, she was, yeah, but he's like the best player in the Mets. I said, yeah, but we're not going to, to City Field. I said, we're going to, to Philly. You're not going to, you're going to wear nothing. You're going to wear very plain, not, no, nothing. She goes, oh, okay. So we get to the Philly game and we're sitting watching and the Mets are killing the Phillies. It was like seven to one, seven to two, whatever it was. And a dad starts walking up the aisle. Right with his daughter and the daughter had to be six or seven years old. And she had on a pink Mike Piazza shirt on. The people started calling her asshole. <laughs> <laughs> wow. My wife goes, I can't believe I go. And, and you wonder where, and you wonder where a pink Mike Piazza shirt. What do you think they would have called you? <laughs> She's a Mike Piazza from Philly. So I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you were in the crowd. All right, enough sports. Let's talk what we all want to talk about. Pinochle. Yes. Pinochle. <laughs> <laughs> oh. me, let me ask you this question before we get rolling here into our deep discussion of all things ECW. Looking back on your career, do you have any ailments, anything that bothers you? I mean, as far as your back, your knees, your elbows, anything to that nature that can kind of compare to uh, – the level of, I don't even know what the word is. Uh, Good barriers. Prob- yeah, problems that these two jokers have right now. Or would you say, you know what, knock on wood, I'm, I'm in good shape for, for everything that we had went that through. That would be mental illness. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Nowadays, I just wrestle with my conscience. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, and luckily, well, since we're talking about baseball, lucky for me, I was the Philly fanatic of ECW. So... I mean, it was just, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think I got out okay. You know, I still have, like, aches and pains with the knees. And, uh, you know, all those years of missing the moonsault instead of hitting the moonsault hurt a lot way, hot, hurt a lot more. So, like, I'll have, like, issues with, like, my knees and stuff like that. But luckily, I, I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. But I'm at the, also at the age where I don't know if my, mem- my shit memory is from chair shots or just from being 45 years old anymore because like I things I used to be able to recall like like right off the bat is just like uh let me google that <laughs> and you know <laughs> thank god for google and wrestling events you know because most of my uh, you know life events happen around wrestling events so uh let me look up the uh Dennis Corluzo NWA you know singles tournament oh okay that's when uh this and that and that happened so but uh the only thing yeah you know, aches and pains is mostly like knees, back, and all that kind of stuff. You know. So did did you ever take any chair shots from balls directly, or were you uh, were you against that as uh, as many people? No, no. I took. Uh, luckily, I think I I took maybe one 
one to the head. I think the rest were just like back shots or, or unless I took them, I don't even remember them because they were that hard, but you know, <laughs> you know, I, when I went back to ECW in 2000, I, I took one at the uh, Hammerstein and I had learned that if balls was going to swing with the fences or if balls was going to hit you with the chair, just shrink your neck and grit your teeth. <laughs> and Ooh, just, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I would scrunch up my shoulders so my head wouldn't would flash back. I would just grit my teeth and then wait for the impact and then act accordingly. So, you know. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't think you need to act. I think it would just happen naturally. The complete opposite of anything else you take. Take everything nice and loose and relax, not the ball's chair shot. Tighten up and clench and tuck as tight as you can. Brace for rigor mortis. You know, <laughs> but, I, but yeah, man, he, I, well, I got off lucky. I've seen him like some people up, but I just, I've seen him Tom and Jerry, some motherfuckers too. So I don't know. Well, luckily I didn't have to do that. If I'd have seen him yeah, coming Mr. after Baby me with Baby. a chair, I, I think I would have uh, screamed like a girl and ran. I did that once with uh new Jack because we were doing a, uh, it was me and uh lukewarm chad austin against uh the gangsters it was supposed to be me and stevie against the gangsters but uh stevie broke his orbital bone the night before in reading so they had me and chad austin go to get the gangsters and new jack comes up to me and goes me me and mustafa are working you and this boy chad austin stay with mustafa if i see him i don't want to have to hurt you i was like yes i uh, by by all means so like me and <laughs> Me and Mustafa are in the ring doing like three Stooges spots and around the, 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 the ringside area is a homicide happening. It's like, me and Mustafa, <laughs> it's like, it's like me and Mustafa are wrestling a castle and there's a motor around the ring with a shark eating a, eating a guy, you know, just all around the outside. <laughs> and it, it got to the one point where like new Jack was beating him so bad. Well, this is after I left, but, New Jack was hitting him so bad that Mustafa grabbed Chad Austin and started pulling him out of the ring to save him. It was like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> if, if a gangster goes, hey, man, that might be a little bit too much, you know, and it, it, it was brutal. But <laughs> New Jack looked at me and Stevie, and we both went, ah! <laughs> and ran How great is it, though, that you, you had a character where you could do that? Yeah, I got away with fucking up so many times. People just thought oh, I was part of my act. You know, uh, one time, one time, uh, me and Nova had to do the gangsters uh, entrance against uh, to save Tommy Dreamer against Doring, Mike Lazansky, and Jack Victory, and one other person I can't think of. Uh, and we went to go throw the trash can of weapons in the ring, and Nova went to aim for over the top rope, and I went to go through the middle two ropes, and we both hit the top rope that on and all the weapons start pouring out so i was like and and i I, you know nova starts heaving stuff in the ring i grab a crotch go in do the spot all this stuff you know we do the whole thing and we come back to the locker room goes and and meanie uh new jack everybody told me new jack who was on the stage because he was out injured fell out of his chair laughing and he came down to the eyes like Meaning that was the funniest shit I ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Only a motherfucker like you can fuck up and people go, oh, that's just meanie, you know? So, <laughs> but, 
like I said, I was the Philly fanatic of uh, ECW. The only thing I was missing was like a t-shirt gun or a hot dog gun, and you had to go out intermission. You know, well, then again, I at intermission I went out and gave out the heads for Al Snow and stuff like that. So I served some kind of purpose. <laughs> so let me ask you this: How did the the concept of your your character come about? Was it something that was 100% birthed by you or was it something that some people had some input on or kind of take me through the, the creation of how that all came about? Well, uh, fortunately for me, uh, Raven and Stevie found me on a couple indie shows and, uh, they brought me in, uh, and Raven wanted me to be the character from the yellow submarine and the character from the yellow submarine is the devious plotting guys, He's a mentally ill and he's plant, plotting to take over the world. And I, in the beginning, I kind of did it to that, the letter of that character. But then like, once we start doing the parodies of like the first parody we ever did was like the fabulous ones. And, uh, you know, once you start doing parodies and comedy, it kind of went from what Raven wanted into my own natural personality because, you know, uh, I was just a natural ham. I, I grew up, to my, you know, my influences were heavy metal, wrestling, and stand-up comedy. And you know, you know George Carlin being the king, I was, you know, barred a lot of his facials and stuff like that. And you know, just I figured, you know, if everybody's going to be killing each other with weapons and doing the hardcore stuff, and I can't really do cruiserweight style wrestling, even though it was called cruiserweight then, I'll do something different and to stand out amongst the, the pack, you know, or I, or otherwise I would just blend it right in, you know. That's what I tell all the younger guys when I do seminars. I go, you got to find out, you know, I, I think every good gimmick that works out great for someone has a little bit of them in them, in, in the gimmick. But you turn it up to 11. Oh, absolutely. Hey, the, the, the shit I got paid for doing wrestling and stuff I used to get sent home from uh, grade school for, get suspended for. You know, my teacher would send my report card home and say, Brian keeps making fart noises in class. Could you please ask him to stop? <laughs> You're never going to amount to anything. Who knew it would become a career? You know, and this is always what I wanted to do. And if I whipped out some of my old yearbooks, you would see people write, you know, good luck in wrestling or good luck in WWF or whatever, stuff like that. Just much like Mikey and, and Jerry, this probably, you know, this is the you know thing we loved and put up with a bunch of bullshit for, you know. So. Oh, yeah. A lot. And that's why, you know, towards the end, everybody's like, oh, in ECW, people are like, oh, look at these guys working for free and stuff like that. It's like, it's like not that we were, we willfully didn't want to get paid. It's just like we figured we fought hard enough, long enough for this thing to become what it became. And if somebody would have came in and swooped up and took over, hopefully those who stuck around would have been rewarded. But unfortunately, that was not to be. Well, like Jerry and I always said, like, the, the wrestling was a part of it, and obviously it was going to work, but it didn't seem like work. It was just going out and, and hanging out with your friends all weekend is what it was. It was like a giant, just a good time. Yeah, it's like us. We were like hanging out in the garage, listening to music and watching TV and just watching the monitor, hanging out. And, oh, yeah, let me go out and uh, entertain a couple thousand people for a few minutes and then come back and then continue to hang out, talk, drink beer, you know, watch the monitor and stuff like that, and then... No, whatever happened at the hotel was what happened at the hotel. But, you know, <laughs> whether it was the travel lodge or the uh, the Holiday Inn and all that good stuff. Oh, uh, the the uh, travel lodge, I called, which I called the, uh, the cylinder, cylinder of sin. Yeah, that's it because, for sure. Oh, my God. That, <laughs> that, 
the, the one night, the, the night shot. before we were there, somebody got shot. There's like, there still holes in the door. Oh, man. The stadium in downtown Nashville, a couple promoters used to run shows there. And it is, you know, it looks like a hotel you wouldn't even want to stay at. And the room, I mean, the crowd was fun there because it probably fit at the most, I don't know, 75 people. And they were always there to have a great time. And, and there it was a blast working in front of that crowd. But that hotel was the scariest hotel I've ever seen. I think they even found quite a few dead hookers there. <laughs> Oi. <laughs> wow. That's, uh, that doesn't go over really well on Yelp, does it? <laughs> Meanie, let me ask you this question. So we had often talked about, you know, what was your first impression when you got to ECW and what were your first interactions with Paul and what did you think of Paul? So if you don't mind kind of taking us through that, what was your thought of the building itself? And, um, you know, what were your interactions with Paul in the beginning? Well, I, I think I had a unique, uh, perspective on ECW because, uh, I, I was already in the Philly wrestling scene as a fan. Uh, you know, every, you know, month, go to the spectrum or go to the civic center, see the NWA. And then, uh, you know, back when Joel Goodhart was running, running tri-state wrestling in Philly, you know, you would go to see those shows and then, you know, tri-state wrestling shut down and there just was this void in the, uh, in the Philly wrestling scene that you had this thing once a month or every other month. And it's like, man, what do I do now? So thank God Todd Gordon and uh, Bob Ortiz and a few other people got together and came up with the idea for ECW. So I found out, I I discovered ECW just flip, you know, every week, every day, I'm always flipping as a kid, I was flipping through the, you know, the TV listings looking for wrestling and it said Eastern championship wrestling. It was like Tuesday night at six. I was like, Oh my God, I'll watch this. And there was Eastern championship wrestling. So, I started going to shows when it was Eastern and then, uh, uh, what you would call it. Uh, eventually I went off to Al Snow's school in Ohio to get trained. And then I would like, I would, uh, schedule trips home to see my family around East W arena shows. So like, Oh, let me see when the next East W arena show is. Oh, I'll call up my grandma. Oh yeah. I'm just coming along. See how you're doing. Let's see the family, you know, stuff like that. Wink, wink. <laughs> Oh, so I'd go home on a Monday, Monday, actually, you know, hang out, whatever, go to the Friday show, go to the Saturday show, after Saturday show, drive 13 hours back to Ohio. And, uh, while I was training, uh, I became friendly with Sabu because Sabu was doing a lot of stuff without snow school and his students and stuff like that. He started running shows and on those shows, Sabu brought Paulie in for a couple of shows. He would bring in Paulie, he'd bring in Taz, he'd bring in Dreamer. And uh, I did this angle where uh, every, well, every show Sabu had, he would do like a run in on the match to destroy the guys to get the pop and do the point and all this stuff. So me and this kid, uh, Sean Brown, uh, I forget what he's wrestling about as at, at the time we did a uh, loser must get his head shaped match. Right. So we do the thing where we get double counted out and we act like assholes because we are like, ha ha, we're not going to get our head shaved. So Sabu and Paulie run in and beat us up and Sabu and Paulie shaved my head. So flash, flash forward when, you know, Raven starts to me for ECW, 
uh, I saw, you know, I start coming around, coming around, coming around. And then one day uh, I went up to the TV studio and Paulie sat there. He goes, Paulie was sitting there and it's like a light bulb went off over his head. He goes, hold on. You're the kid. We shaved his head in the middle of the ring. I was like, that was me. And I think from that point on, he, he was even, you know, more, you know, sold on me because, you know, in a, in a situation where most people wouldn't want to get their head shaved, I said, fuck it, shave my head, you know, for this, you know, angle that I'm probably never going to get paid for and walk around like, uh, you know, a cue ball or whatever. But uh, I, I, I was looking like Uncle Fester before, uh, before Mikey, but... <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, actually, I, I looked more like King Tut from Batman. Cause I had a little goatee and stuff like that. So uh, from that point on, Paulie, you know, took a liking to me because he realized I really was uh, how passionate, you know, and how much I really wanted to do it. And Jerry and Mikey can attest to this. Paulie, Paulie was always open to suggestion and stuff like that. If you could think of something that might be a little bit better, it takes a little bit of pressure off of him. So like I would, you would come up with ideas for parodies or or, you know, me and Steve would go down to Todd Gordon's office and, and do a vignette and stuff like that and hand it in for TV. He appreciated, you know, that, you know, as well, because, you know, it, it was contributing to the product, you know, on your own free time. You know, when most people go, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll work when I show up, you know, you're always thinking of things to do when, you know, you're not on the clock. So I think he appreciated that a lot with that, a lot with, you know, a lot of the guys in ECW. Yeah, he definitely did. What was your relationship like with, with Stevie? Did you find that you guys clicked pretty quickly? Yeah. Technically, I, I debuted for ECW twice. I debuted uh, October of 95, and that was the night we set the fans on fire, so that, that footage disappeared. And then... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that night, I, I was in the crowd dressed like Stevie. I was just myself. I had like a Van Halen half shirt and Daisy Dukes and he was wrestling, uh, Stevie was wrestling Johnny Grunge in a raggedy ass hoe match. And uh, <laughs> which, uh, the, the loser the, the loser had to dress like a raggedy ass hoe. So I was at ringside for that and Grunge, Grunge gave me a shot and I whimpered off and all that stuff. But then like I said, you know, things happened and uh, the footage never aired. But in the time when Stevie came out for his entrance, he's doing his usual entrance and he's looking at me. We do the thing where he looks at me. I look at him and like at the time Stevie was doing this like Kung Fu chop. It was like a double boom. And like without even practice it, we looked at each other and just did it. And we were both went, Whoa, you know, and that's kind of cool. <laughs> and then, uh, we, we started doing a couple, we did a couple indie shows after that to work on our tag team continuity and that's when you know raven came up with the idea for the blue meanie on a like a six hour drive back from pittsburgh to raven's house in the blizzard you know he's like oh, oh you ever God. see the uh yellow summer yeah he's like ah, did you ever see the yellow submarine i was like ah, that's it. <laughs> hey, you know you, you look like a blue meanie yeah. <laughs> ah, you look like that grand. it's like a creaky door it's yeah. like, but uh, <laughs> it's like a conversation. We'll give, give them WD 40, you know, Jesus Christ. 
But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's when he came up with the idea. But I, I know I'm getting a little bit off, uh, off, uh, topic here, but yeah. Yeah. And then that, that morning we went to Raven's house way for Blockbuster open, ran at the movie. He made me, uh, study the DVD of the yellow submarine. And then we, uh, a, a cool thing Raven did, which they do now down at the performance center. If they do, uh, you know, that performance center, they do things called skull sessions where you stand in front of a crowd, they give you a topic, and you kind of promo on the spot about that topic. Well, Raven was doing that with me and Steve and all the, a bunch of other guys back in 95. And, uh, you know, he helped me uh, immensely on that character in uh, developing. And, hey, Mini, cut a promo on toilet paper. And I would have to cut a promo about toilet paper in character, you know? So. Uh, I don't initially, I forget initially what you asked, but you know, that's where I'm going to finish it off. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's all good. That's all I good. can say is how dare you get back on topic. I know. Uh, really, <laughs> you don't put up that around these parts. Hey, did, did Scotty have the Waffle House kitchen set up when you were there? No, that, that, I think that's when he went to Atlanta. He did that. Oh God. But uh, when I, he, when I was, when I was with him, he was living in Cherry Hill. Uh, near the uh, strip club, he was DJing during the week and stuff like that. And that's when he found Komoda at the uh, Blue Moon Strip Club or whatever it was called. <laughs> I was afraid you're going to see. He, he had a lot of <laughs> <laughs> the bearded clam. Oh no! <laughs> oh my god! Oh, my, one, of my favorite, one of my favorite comedians, Tom Segura, did a bit about. He went to a strip club called Beef. Like, where, where do you dance? Beef. If you dance at a club called Beef, you should work your way up and start at a club called Fart or something like that. You know, just <laughs> the blue oyster, you know, bearded clam, beef, camel toe. <laughs> Here we go. Moose knuckle. <laughs> you traveled with Raven. So, you have any good Raven car stories or any car stories where you were like, Oh my, this is definitely what I'm not likely to forget anytime soon. Raven was People go, Oh, Raven's his psychology is second to none. Right. Which is true. He watches match and you sit there and you listen to him call a match and orchestrate stuff. But like driving with Raven, I could be perfectly fine. Just driving. He goes, Hey man, he's up on the wheel. You're like, what? It's like, yeah, you're jerking your hand. I'm like, I wasn't jerking my hand, but now that he said it, I find myself jerking my hand. Like, he's like, <laughs> we always said he had the Jedi mind trick. Dude, it was, it was literally the Jedi mind trick. He's like, he, he said I was driving like I, I was Michael J. Fox. You know, he's, he's the, oh. <laughs> his words, not mine. He's like, dude. <laughs> it's like you have Parkinson's just calm, calm down and like I I wouldn't be doing that but then after he said it I, I start thinking of you know trying not to do it that I wound up doing it and he's then, like, like, and it's like oh my god uh, he's like subliminal man from SNL yeah me, me and uh, Christian stole the subliminal man to try to get bumped up to first class in WDE once because we were both going out of a town and our we had the same flight and then we're going to meet, go somewhere and then go our separate ways. But, you know, you know, Christian was like, so, uh, how's that flight first class looking, uh, first class, how's that flight coming along? You know, <laughs> you know try to slip, but you know, 
<laughs> Dude, trying to get it fucked up the, the first place. The lady was having none of it. She looked at us like, knock it off. <laughs> you know, how many seats are first class are available on the flight? First class. You know, and then <laughs> we, were the, we were the worst subliminal guys ever. Actually, here's another cool Raven story. Kind of a thing I, I marked the fuck out about. We were doing this charity softball game. It was like ECW versus this local uh, police softball team. It was for charity, all this stuff. And as I drove there with Raven, and then on the way back, he goes, hey, man, uh, did you ever watch Terry Gordy wrestle? I go, absolutely. He's like, you don't say anything, but I, I'm, I'm defending the title against Terry Gordy. It's a surprise. Nobody knows he's going to be there. I'm like, holy shit, right? And so he started saying to me about, you know, Raven, who I admired for his ring psychology and all that stuff, started asking me questions about Terry Gordy. And I was like, oh, yeah, man, he does the, uh, the Asiatic spike. He does this. He does that. So Raven, who liked to plan a lot of the, his stuff out, had me reach in to his glove box. And, he, and here's the thing young wrestlers can always need to learn. Always have like a notebook with you always have something handy by uh, a case like or a tape recorder for that matter if an you know, idea comes to mind you got to jot it down that way it doesn't disappear into the ether you know uh but like yeah he had, he had a, those little yellow single sticky tabs you write something on there and you stick it to the wall so he starts laying out this match and i'm like numbering page number one dot 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 Take it off, stick it to the dashboard. Page two, dot, 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 dot. Stick it to the dashboard. And I'm kind of marking the fuck out for this. And, you know, it, he had me reassemble them, and he had me read them back to him and stuff like that. I gave it to him, and then, like, before the, the match, you see him get ready, putting on his gear. He takes out that little thing with all my handwriting on it, and he starts, you know, going over his match with Terry Gordy, somebody who I idolized and, you know, <clears throat> had this match. And the cool thing about the thing I love about wrestling, you know, I could watch, I could sit there and I could watch a professional mat, wrestling match for what it is. And then I'll rewind the same match and I'll just sit there and I'll watch the crowd react to what I just watched and see how they, you know, reacted to it. So I knew this match was coming that nobody in the arena knew was coming. So I go up to the uh, camera's nest where the hard cam was and where the sound guy, Paul, all that was there. I mean, I stood there next to Shane Douglas, you know, dressed as blue dust because I was doing something in the match. I was doing something in the end of that match where Terry Gordy was going to, you know, kick me and then Bueller was going to DDT me. But I went up to the, the next to the hard cam and just watched the crowd react to the opening chords of Freebird hit. And like, as I stood there, me and Shane looked at each other and then we put our forearms out just to show like our goosebumps and stuff like that. We we're like, fuck yeah. And then, you know, I, I had to get ready to go get beat up by Terry Gordy and stuff like that. But it was like probably one of the, the coolest car rides into the show, into living a childhood moment, you know, helping you know, somebody who got you in the ECW work with a guy you idolized growing up. So that's what I like to do a lot. Instead of watching from the monitor, I'd like to go watch a uh, peek inside the curtain somewhere just so you can feel the crowd more of the electricity and stuff. And you can actually, you know, learn a lot of, psychology that way if you got guys out there that know what they're doing and watch what they're doing then watch the crowd and see how they're reacting and how they're manipulating the crowd's emotions and it's just yeah. amazing 
that's why I tell a lot, of, a lot of guys too when I'm training them. Don't just watch the guys doing their high spots. Listen to the audience and how they're reacting and what they're reacting to and what they're not. I said, because that's how you're going to learn. Anybody can go out there and do high spots. Spot, 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 spot. But unless you take something, put it, and get the people to react and learn how they're going to react, you're just out there doing moves. If you guys have had an old timer tell you this, if you say, ask them, you know, did you see the match? They'll say, no, but I heard it and it was good. They're not just BSing you because that's how you can tell if a match was good. It's not uh, if it's got, uh, you know, a million high spots or death defying moves. It's how are the people on the finish? Oh, you tell me that all the time, Jerry. Huh? You used to tell me that all the time. Yeah. How are the people on the finish? That's the most important part of the match whether they're blowing the roof off the place for the baby face or booing that heel out the building, you want that to be the biggest reaction of the match. And so you don't have to see the match, but if you hear the finish, you can tell if it was good or if it wasn't. I mean, especially the crowd can help you actually, you know, save yourself because if they're reacting to simple shit, you can take half your match and just put it in your back pocket and save it for another time down the road and just, you know, you know, work simple shit, you know, work smarter instead of harder, you know, and stuff like that. But some guy, Al Snow said the best, you know, me and you know how to drive from Philly to New York, but if they put up a road close sign, we have to figure out how to go around the back roads to get to the same destination. Some guys will just drive right through that road close sign going, Nope, this is the only way I know how to get to the fucking city. So this is the way I'm going to go, you know? So if you listen to the crowd, you got to listen to the crowd. The crowd will tell you, you know, exactly if you're what you're doing right and doing wrong. If you have to try a little bit harder or, hey, you know, back off and, you know, you know, work a little slower, work a little smarter. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, that today, that, that's a lot of the kids today. You know, they, they don't know how to improvise and go a different, dire- different direction on a detour. They know, well, we have this spot planned and this spot's planned and everything else A to Z. And they don't leave any room for adjusting. Yeah, and if, if one spot gets screwed up, then the whole match is, you know, going to hell because they don't know how to stay on the same page. But uh, that happened with me and Elix Skipper one time in northern Georgia. I think there was a girl match before us, and they wanted, the promoter wanted me and Elix to go out there and do like a, I don't know, 15, 20-minute X Division style, you know, a double baby face. And I'm thinking, you know, you got to know your parts of the country because in this town, they would have wanted to just see an old school, good guy, bad guy match. And so we were out there killing ourselves for like three, you know, three big, good double baby face face off spots. And all, all of a sudden, someone in the crowd yells, bring back the girls. <laughs> I told Elix, I go, hang on a second. I looked over to the side of the ring. I said, who wants the girls? And one guy is pointing at his buddy and the other guy raises his hand. I said, you want the girls? And they're like, yeah. So, and I had the long hair at the time. So I flipped my long hair and did the big snap and the whole crowd (laughs) popped. And I looked at Elix. I said, it's all comedy from here on out. Oh, that's good. That's amazing. That's amazing. Like you said, you got to find a detour. Yeah. And kids today too, they're scared. If they're not getting a reaction, they freak out. Like, oh, we got to do something. I said, no, hell with that. A lot of times I was getting a reaction that people were being quiet. Fuck it. We're going through a hold and we're going to make them wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you got to you, you work for it, though. Yeah. And the best is when they chant boring, boring. I just grab a headlock and go, oh, you thought that was boring. <laughs> and you just <laughs> snatch a hold and just 
you know, that's the, that's the one thing I missed about being a heel before, you know, uh, becoming, you know, Mr. Comedy, haha guys. Like you could just be a dick, you know, boring. Oh, that was boring. Just take a snap mare and throw in a chin lock. In you. <laughs> the old Tabasius nerve hole. <laughs> Do the old uh, flying toe hole where you just put your foot in the other guys and start flapping your arms. <laughs> We've we've talked from time to time about how um, you know how you're mentioning the fans and saying this is boring or whatnot or you know when someone would make a mistake or whatnot. How brutal, in your opinion, do you think some of the fans were? And do you have any any other classic moments where fans were just razzing you something terrible? With me, well, like like I said before earlier, I was so lucky that my character was so goofy that like if I botched a move, they wouldn't chant you, you fucked up. They're just like ah, meanie. And then like they come up to me, I have a match. That thing you did where you did the thing and you fell on your ass. Ah, that was so great. And I go, I pl- act like I planned it all along, you know. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's the one thing. You, you just you never sell it like it fucked up. You just go, you know, the best thing to do, like if you're a baby face and you fuck up, like say you trip, just get up, put your hands up, go, okay, I tripped. And the crowd would go, ah, that's cool, you know. Yeah. Shit like that. But when you ask <laughs> But but crap, they it, it's like blood in the water when they realize that you realize you fucked up, and you're trying to get over the fact that you fucked up, and then you try not to fuck up again. You fuck up. That's when you know it, it's harder as a baby face as a heel. As a heel, you, know? you can get away with it. If you screw up, the, yeah, if yeah. they it'll get them on you even more, and that's just more heat. Then you argue with them, say, "Hey, I meant to do that," or something, you know. Yeah, I, I was I was helping coach uh, a couple of the kids at the Monster Factory, and we we're doing an event. And there's this one wrestler, uh, Clutch Adams, and they're doing a spot where. Did you say Clutch? Clutch. <laughs> clutch or Patch? Clutch. Clutch, like a fucking purse. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. Uh-oh. Clutch is a four letter word Uh-oh. to Mikey. You're not going to have PTSD on me, on you? Are you going to. <laughs> I'm here shaking. I'm looking for my, my flask. Slowly, I turn inch by inch. <laughs> but, but the guy whose name begins with C was doing a spot where he was going to do the uh, tackle, drop down, go over, and on the went run over, his toe caught the guy and stripped and fell on his face. The crowd ate it up. I was like, dude, the next three shows, you're going to do that exact same spot. You're just going to act like you tripped and fall on your face. And it became a thing where the crowd was chanting, don't trip, C-word. Don't trip, C-word. Don't trip, C-word. <laughs> and uh, C-word uh, kept uh, tripping. And uh, it got it got over at the spot. And uh, an accident became the spot for C-word. Wow. I feel bad this guy who did nothing wrong is now just referred to as the C-word. It's, which, <laughs> which is a double entendre now at this point. Mr. Adams, oh you God. are a C-word. I'm sensitive. <laughs> why why do I see you, you know, feel it's rubbing your chest as you say you're sensitive? <laughs> on my chest and my nipples when I said it. Yeah. He's pulling on his nipple rings like the Cajun coach and the water boy. I don't have those. Oh, God. Ever been to a Turkish prison? <laughs> Ever seen a grown man naked? Ever been hit by a clutch? (laughs) (laughs) Do you like when Scrap grabs your leg and uh, rubs real hard? (laughs) 
Oh, I can see it now. If I ever end up in prison, Mikey will visit me and he'll slam himself against the window going, oh, Billy. All right. I'm, I'm super curious about this. You, we, we've heard from different people and I've you know heard different interviews and whatnot of the Holiday Inn. Do you have a good Holiday Inn or slash Travel Lodge story? I thought you were going to ask him about JBL. I'm getting okay. to that point. <laughs> uh, I just oh, want to hear some really good, good dirt. That's what I like. I'm just trying to think if the statute of limitations are up. But, uh, <laughs> 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 oh, I... I, I, here's here's a good one. Here's a good one. We're at the uh, Holiday Inn on uh, Hacker Ave, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, we're, we're at Fonty was checking into his room, and there was a guy who just pulled up, parked his car, was going to check in, then go to his car, get his bags, all this stuff. And a uh, guy goes to Fonty. Oh, you're with that fake wrestler shit, huh? Fonty goes, yeah, daddy, what to tell you? And then, like, the guy, the guy said something to Fonty. And, like, Fonty started, like, swinging on the guy. And the guy swung back at Fonty. And then, all of a sudden, the ECW guys are around. And everybody starts ganging up on the dude. And at that one point, the hotel security guard gives his billy club to Joel Gertner to, <laughs> to fucking go after this guy. And the guy fucking... You know, he, he realized he just, he's in a world of fucking, I fucked up and I'm not getting out of this. Runs to his car to fucking try to get away. So he gets in on the driver's seat and then, you know, Joel's over there, you know, tapping on his, you know, the hood of his car with the billy club. And then out of nowhere, you know, he, the, he, the guy's driver's side door opens. So he's getting, he's getting hit from Fonzie from that side. He shuts the door, the window's up. He thinks he's safe. Here comes Tracy's mother through the passenger side door, and he's crouched, sitting on the seat, doing the rock and sock and robot. Boom, 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 boom. And he hopped out. The guy just turned his car and just, just like Pee Wee Herman, and you know when he's riding off on the motorcycle through the billboard and off in the. Did he go through? It was like a point where, like, you, you, you mess with one, you mess with everybody because that's you know how much like how much of a family we're in. He said, "You fuck with one of us, you're going to wind up fucking with all of us." So the guy's like, "Oh, you do that fake wrestling stuff in the earshot of like all these fucking lunatics," and to the point where the security guard goes, "Here's my billy club," and, just, and all this fucking madness happened. But uh, any good uh, travel life stories? I mean that building was hard. That building was spherical. Is right. That building was very phallic, and it was <laughs> quite. <laughs> and it was quite apropos that it was very phallic because that building could have used a good condom over top of it, like a light a building side condom. Because I mean, this, like I don't know. I, there's some stories I don't even think I can repeat. Uh, I mean, like, like the one cool story, we're at the bar hanging out, having drinks, and Joe smoking Joe Frazier walked in, and we're and like, wow, all the boys are like, holy shit, that's just Joe Frazier. 
And he came over and ECW TV was on. We were, it was after show. We got back to the hotel early and watched the uh, replay of the show. And Smoking Joe Frazier's there with us watching the wrestling with us, which is pretty cool. You know, at the old uh, Travel Lodge bar. I remember thinking to myself, we're at the fucking Travel Lodge. And Smoking Joe Frazier is at the Travel Lodge. I found it very yeah. depressing for Joe Frazier. <laughs> <laughs> you, you would see him like double parking his car and just walking out and going to a building. Or, hey, there's Smoking Joe with his son, you know, who also boxed. I can't remember his name, but I, I guess that was his local, uh, his local, local watering hole. He's in better shape than Leon Spinks. I'll tell you that much. Remember when Leon? Spinks, oh, that guy. You know, you think of all that that the argument between. What's you know worse, UFC or boxing? And I'll say boxing every time because just for the amount of headshots there are, as as opposed to the UFC, because I've seen Leon Spinks in the ECW arena have to be pulled out of the way because Sabu was diving in the crowd. If somebody didn't pull pull Leon Spinks out of the way, <laughs> Leon Spinks would have got killed by Sabu. He would have made Sports Center. Uh, <laughs> Mini, let me ask you this question. Who who would you say is somebody that you ran into when you were in ECW or even in the WWE that recognized you, that you're like, wow, they uh, they went ahead and they recognized me, somebody maybe from TV or acting or, you know, an athlete, anybody like that ever approach you? And uh, the, the most surreal thing that happened to me, we were, uh, I was with the WWE and uh, we were doing a show in Anaheim and at the shows in Anaheim were so the backstage was so bizarre, you know, especially at the TV because you'd see like random celebrities walking around. Like I went to go get a cup of coffee and then just like, I know I'm going to fuck this guy's name up. Michael Duncan Clark, Michael Clark Duncan. Yeah. I always get the fucking middle and the last name fucked up. He was there. And I thought, I didn't even know you, I hadn't seen him act yet. I thought he was like maybe a local wrestler trying to there for like a, a, a tryout or they're bringing him in to look at him or something like that. And then like, you know, I'm making a cup of coffee next time. Like, hey man, how you doing? Hey brother, how you doing? And then like, you know, a couple months later, I see him in a green mile. I'm like, Holy shit. Well, like, and that's not even the most surreal part. Like uh, we were in Anaheim and I was, uh, THQ was doing something for WrestleMania 2000, taking photos of the guys in their gear and stuff like that. So I got all geared up and I'm like walking around the hall and fucking Owen Hart comes up to me. He goes, he goes, Meanie, Nicholas Cage is around the corner. I went, holy shit. And I, I wish I would have thought to run back and get my camera, you know, back then when you had the, uh, the one-off cameras. So I was like, oh fuck, let me go see. So I walk around the corner and we like lock eyes. So I didn't want to like, turn around, run back, get my camera, and then go back and say hi again. So I go over, hey, how you doing? Uh, and it, without me, me even saying anything, he looks, he takes his, he was with his son, and he says to his son, oh, uh, this is the blue meanie. I went, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it was so bizarre. Like, I, he was like, hey, uh, this is the blue meanie over here. And I was like, yeah, you're Nicholas fucking Cage, right? Because <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, like when you hear somebody say your name, it's like the most surreal thing. They have somebody you haven't even met. And uh, and then there's like in the same instance, 
I, I that happened, and then I walked down the hall, and then there's like Bo Bridges, you know, uh, you know, from the Bridges family. You know, he was, uh, I think he was the one in fucking uh, Deliverance. Did it ding 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 ding? But I didn't, I didn't bring that up to him. He was the uh, the guy who got taken care of in uh, Deliverance. And I walk over to him, and I go to pay my respects. He goes, he goes, hey, Meanie, you want to take a photo with my family? I go. Jesus Christ. So like, it's like me and a couple of other wrestlers, we all stand there with, like, with, you know, posing in gear, you know, with this actor who, you know, is, you know, done all these great films and stuff like that. And it's just like bizarro land, you know, I was going to ask you, so you had mentioned Sabu before, had you ever done, um, have you worked any shows that his, uh, his uncle ran? His cousin. No, but I was, his cousin. Oh, his cousin. very funny. I know what you're getting at. <laughs> No, no, I never did any Sheik shows, but I did a show Sabu did that had the Sheik on it. But uh, Sheik's a very intimidating guy because just from folklore alone, you know, so you go up and just do a quick hi and run away, you know, but uh, (laughs) I I, I, I never did any shows he ran. Sheik was very scary. I met him in Japan at the airport and within a few minutes of conversation, I've just meeting him. He starts talking about if someone doesn't want to get color, I'll cu- I'll cut them. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Funny you say that because back in the old uh, Goodhart days, they did a match with Abby versus the Sheik, and they were sending a bunch of guys to like try to break them up, and like Abby and Sheik were just starting guys against their will, just like you know, with a little chip chip across their forehead, and like the guys go, guys would freak out, like ah. And, you know, <laughs> I, I think they got I think they got Jim Molino one time too. Like he was the ref and he ran in and they, you know, just went shink, shink, across his forehead like Zorro to his forehead and he just went ah! and just fucking took a powder and rolled out. Shink, shink. <laughs> but uh yeah. Jeep, jeep. Sounds like Shank. Shank Shank and run around shanking everybody. This feels like the part of the party where the drugs kick in and we just start laughing. At <laughs> um, tell me about your guys' first time getting color, if it was hard way or not, and where. The first time I got hard was Terry Gordy because he hit me in the head with a trash can. And uh, I go to the back and, you know, you, you know, it's like you could tell when you're bleeding that when that warm stuff, you know, when the warm blood runs down your head. Yeah. But, uh, the, the first time I actually get color, color, uh, me and Nova, after Stevie had left, me and Nova were having this feud with uh, the FBI. And we felt like we had done a lot so far. I was like, yeah, I offered, I was like, hey, Paul, I, I, my character normally doesn't get color. But what if the FBI just jumped us and beat us and we got a little, I got a little bit of color. And that way we could get maybe like another two or three months out of the feud, you know? You know, maybe they said, fuck it, you know, boom, boom, boom. So I'd never gotten color before, like that way, the regular, you know, traditional way. So I'm standing there. I go to, you know, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I went up to Tommy Rich. I was like, hey, uh, he's legendary, right? With the jeep, jeep. Yep. And uh, so fucking Tommy Rich pulls me aside. And it was just like, uh, like Mr. Rogers neighborhood on how to make a blade. It was just like, you know, he's like, come over, come here, man, he come over and he, he takes out a blade. He shows me how to cut it, how to tape it. You know, you might want to put it here. You might put it there. And then, uh, Paul's my hoodie found out I was getting color. 
and he came over, he, he gave me like a couple aspirin to take. So I went, oh, you know, <laughs> he fed me a couple aspirin and then I think he had a bottle of booze. He's like, here, take a shot of this. I don't know what it was, but I took a shot of it. I was like, all right. So we go to do the thing with the FBI. FBI goes out first. Here come me and Nova. They jump us from Jump Street. They're getting heat on us with chairs and the flagpole. So they give me the shot that I'm supposed to go down to get my collar for. So, boom, I go down. I take it out of my wrist tape. And I'm laying there with my forearms on the mat. And I go to, you know, hit, you know, my forehead. And somebody took a bump and it shot my elbow up and dug the blade in deeper into my forehead than I, I oh, intended. No. Oh, no. So I went, like, like Guido or somebody hit the mat so hard that like my elbow went, it didn't go, she, she, it went. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, they take me up and they put me in the ropes, you know, to show me off like, you know, ha ha, you know, and they're jabbing me and we go to the back. I knew my color job was bad when Sabu told me I did too much. He's like, don't ever play like that again. I was like, oh, I didn't, I, I, there was no use in explaining to Sabu that, oh, somebody bumped and you know, went up into my forehead. <laughs> but uh, I think I, I still got the scar. I still got the scar there. And I, I think I sold a few eight by tens of it. But uh, yeah, that's the, the first time, you know, ching, ching. color. And that. Ching, ching. I had the complete opposite experience. Oh, no. <laughs> I was, it was Cactus and I against the public enemy. And I was supposed to take a DDT on a chair and get color. Well, right before the spot, I take out my blade and I put it in my hand. Johnny takes me, hits me with the DDT. Well, I wanted to make the DDT look good, right? So I take the DDT and I hit my nose (laughs) on the chair. (laughs) Now, I didn't bust my nose open, but I hit my nose so hard that my eyes started to water and I couldn't see. Well, I also dropped the blade. Oh, no. So I pick up and I go to, and I go to cut myself. And instead of zip, zip, it's. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm not getting anything. Oh, <laughs> So I have oh, like, so I get nothing. Oh. So Cactus is, Cactus is like, Mikey, this is disappointing. <laughs> I'm like, oh. So I get to the back and he goes, Mikey, for God's sakes, what happened? And I said, oh, I couldn't see. I dropped the blade. He goes, Mikey, this is simple. Let me show you. He takes the blade and goes, put on my head, color. <laughs> I go, I dropped the blade. He goes, Mikey, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so I'm thinking now, Cactus, who I idolize everything else, who could bleed like like no other. And I'm going, yeah, uh, I'm like Cactus Jack. It's like Cactus Jack and Tumbleweed. I'm like the worst. <laughs> so we come back in November to remember, right? And that was the deal where Kevin Sullivan came back where I was hurt or something, but Cac- Sullivan came back to team with Cactus against the public enemy. And I said to Cactus that if Kevin t- turned on him, I was going to kick Kevin's ass. Well, Kevin's like, I brother, I heard about the last time you got the color. So <laughs> he goes, take it. <laughs> he goes, and then when you did it, 
put your put your hand over your nose and like you're gonna pop your eardrums. I said, okay, I got it. So we do the spot where I I I, I dive on Kevin's back, and Kevin turns around, dusts me over the top rope to the floor. So now I'm gonna get the color, right? So Kevin gets me. I get down. I go to get the color, and Kevin says, I get it. So I turn over. I go to get the color, and as I'm getting going to get the color, Kevin kicks me in the back of the head. Oh! So the blade goes up my head. And like, oh no! Mine was zip zip, and it wasn't like a, a plunge like Meany had with his. Mine was like a like a zipper, huh? straight up, straight up my head. Oh and no! It's like pouring out of my head. I'm like, oh my god! And if you look at the tape, I'm bleeding like a pig. And you see Kevin look down at me, puts his hand over his nose, like, <laughs> like, like you. your drums, pop your drum. <laughs> Like even needs. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this, this is what happened was Cactus fucking went and told Kevin that I went to get called the last time, and I, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so Kevin made sure I got called this time. And the best is, oh, you didn't even see it on TV. Oh sure. Yeah. So oh, wow. So we, we we had damage control. You remember damage control? The British lady. She goes. Oh, Mikey, you should really, yeah, yeah, yeah. you should really get stitches, do you? I said, no, nah, I'll be fine. So she just put some butterfly tape on there, right? And I remember it was bleeding like crazy, like it just wouldn't stop. It took like hours and hours. I really should have got stitches. Finally, I get it to stop. Well, I fell asleep on my back. I think I was just in a room with Paulie this night because we we're driving back the next day. But I'm laying on my back, and I wake up the next morning, and my head was stuck to the pillow. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> oh my god conjoined clutch man <laughs> it was brutal dude i heard stories about like uh, a guy like Cronus would get on the airplane like after a show and then like the plane would be taken off and people wrapped around him would be like mortified because the pressure would like reopen one of his old gigs oh, his man. forehead would just start bleeding on the plane stuff like that I mean do you remember the show where it was in the arena and Cronus was about to get color and he's standing on the apron with the blade in his hand. And this blade was like a dagger. It had to be like an inch long. And we're there on the stage yeah. and the Eagles are there. And all we see is like the lights reflecting off this blade. <laughs> <laughs> like someone giving signals with a mirror. <laughs> How about you, George? How about you? your first, first color? Oh, yeah, mine's, Mine was relatively boring compared to your guys's. It was uh, against the guy, Tom Burton, a guy I went to camp with. And it was a outdoor show. It was one they would do every year at this Loring Park in downtown Minneapolis. And it was a benefit for the homeless. Uh, and I was just, for the first time, going to get color. So he did, I can't remember what he did to me, but I powdered out of the ring. And it took me forever. It felt like an eternity to finally just do it. You know, it was one of those, okay, one, two. <laughs> oh, okay, one, two. And, it, it, you know, I kept hesitating. Finally, I just said, all right, all right, screw it. And when I got back in the ring, he says, what the hell took you so long? <laughs> I was just like, you know, like I just, the first time was hard. But then... uh I was in a big feud with uh, X-Pac when he was still the lightning kid. And we would do this bar show once a month. And we were having a really hot feud there. And 
And the one time we're out on the floor and he did hit me with the ring bell. So I went down and like you, Mikey, he, right as I'm doing it, he stomps on my head a few times. So it's like, it just kept going boink, 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 and kept poking myself in the head when I wasn't even trying to, because I never did the poking, you know, just (laughs) the quick jab. I always, I don't know. I had my own little method of doing it where it would, it wouldn't be a lot, uh, you know, a big scar, but it would bleed like a stuck pig. But that time, man, he just kept stomping on my head and it was just bouncing off the blade. Oh, the one time that my kids would, uh, we would do NYWC and this guy, Mike Spinelli wanted to get color. And he, he goes, he goes, it's my first time I do it. I go, listen, kid, it's like having sex. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. It's like having sex for the first time. He's like, really? I go, I go stick it in. It'll come quick. <laughs> but, but, but I, I, he, he wanted to get, he, he wanted to get color and he didn't want to do it. So he wanted me to get color for him. I said, well, I'll do it for you if you want. So we do it and I cut him and I got a, you know, it was a good one. It was bleeding good. Well, he starts squirting out of his head. I'm like, holy shit. Like this has never happened to me before. Right. You hit an artery. Well, no, what happened? Well, well, let's just say there was a lot of drugs involved. Okay. And he, he was high, and he was telling me braided to boot. So his his blood was like water, and he was all fucking gimmicked up. And his blood pressure was probably through the roof too. Yeah. So I'm like, holy shit. So he rolls to the corner, and I put my thumb on the cut, and I go, "This is fucking. Un- this is like ridiculous. Like I'm like, oh, I had broke my ankle because somebody left a guardrail up against the ring, and I couldn't see it. So when I left the ring, I ring, I rolled my ankle on the guardrail. So now I'm I'm like dying of pain in my ankle, and I got my thumb on this kid's forehead. So Forge comes out, you know, you know, Forge, right, Jerry? Yes. Yeah. So he, he comes over and he goes, he got, he got a gloves on. He goes, Hey, is it bad? I go, is it fucking bad? I take my thumb off. Squirt. <laughs> <laughs> so I put this thumb on. Meanwhile, now my ankle from breaking my ankle, I go into the ring. I start throwing up because of the pain of my ankle so bad. <laughs> but yeah, so I get, I get, I get Uh-oh. to the back. I get to the back and there's Spinelli laying there. He's got this cut and I found he was doing all kinds of other shit, but it was like, good God. Well, like that's happened to me on the plane before too, where if I got colored the, that weekend and I'm flying home and it would start bleeding on the plane and I just, and luck, and I would always get a window seat so I could just try and lean and sleep. And so I just kept it, you know, real kayfabe and had a napkin and just applied pressure on my head the whole flight. But, okay. and it would happen too sometimes, uh, when uh, the wife and I would go out to eat, if I just got back home, we'd sit in a restaurant. All of a sudden, I'd start bleeding again. It's like, really? <laughs> really kills them. <laughs> yeah. One time, one of the guys at NYWC got his hair, his, his, his hair, his head split open with a chair. And he had like a nice slit, like a nice two-inch gash up his head. And the doctor's like, oh. And I look over, I go, what do you think, doc? Should we stitch it or should we fuck it? <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Oh, my God. Well, I'm glad you taped my eyelid shut that time instead of the other option. <laughs> Give skull fucking a whole new meaning. <laughs> wow. Oh, good shit. You always hear stories back in the day, like the old time we'll grab a headlock and he goes, all right, ready for the color? And he would take his thumbnail and scrape it across the guy's forehead. And the guy would think he fucking Ooh. bleeded at him. So you see the guy grab his head and go, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
And the guy would be fucking looking for blood on his forehead. And the crowd's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> That's what? nothing. You should see Mikey with a Doritos chip. Uh, oh. How did that come about? I was drunk. Well, were we at, where were we? Were we I thought we were at a building. We, no, we were at the Travel Lodge. No, it had to be at Holiday Inn because I'd never been to the Travel Lodge. Oh well, maybe 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 your first experience was as the Holiday Inn. I think it started at the Travel Lodge. Oh okay. How how the dream? I remember the time at the Travel Lodge. Me and Mikey were in some fan room, and Mikey picks up a fucking lamp and breaks it over his own fucking head. Jeez. <laughs> and then after that, he gets up and does a, the uh, Kamala splash from one bed to the other, and you see the box spring go. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I knew that's when I knew I joined the fucking I, I joined the circus I was like this is awesome because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was only like 22 I was like oh this is fucking great I'll tell you what if AIDS ever took a physical form it would be shaped like the travel lodge oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god alright so Mikey how did you what, what brought about the Dorito chip Mikey got, we were sitting around just, I don't know, being ourselves and goofing off. And all of a sudden, Mikey took a Doritos chip and started doing the shink, 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 shink. And he got color with a Doritos <laughs> chip. It was crazy. We, we, we were at the Holiday Inn, and I used to drink, in, in, in almost in homage to our guest, I guess you could say, Blue Hawaiians. Or I called them Smurf Piss. <laughs> <laughs> and I would drink these things like they were going out like I could put them back you know what I mean and we're all down at the bar and then you know you start you start wandering around you know what I mean start going room to room just talking to people hanging out and we ended up in this one room I don't even know where the, who the hell was there or what it was but I know Jerry was there and I'm so look at this bag of uh, Cool Ranch Doritos and I, I started going to like a little bit now what well, you don't understand Jerry Lynn <laughs> <laughs> so I went to the WWF and I left Mikey here in ECW. So I'm making a lot of money. So Mikey's going to be forced to eat nothing but Doritos for the rest of his career. And I just start cutting a promo and I go, Gnap, Gnap. I remember Jerry goes, What the hell's going to hell? Gnap, Gnap. And I go, It's bang, bang, backwards. <laughs> so then I just took this, this Dorito, just my forehead with this Dorito. Shink, shink. Oh, it was, it was zip, zip. But yeah, no, that was it. Just, just sitting there. And I just, this bag of Doritos was just sitting there. And I went, gnap, gnap, which is and bang, I, bang, back. And then I just gigged myself with this uh, Dorito. And I went, holy crap, you just got color. And it burned like a son of a bitch. <laughs> Did you still eat the chip? Of course. It was Doritos Cool Ranch, the blue bag. And I remember looking at the Dorito, had a little bit of blood on it, going, oh, look, my hemoglobin is a little bit like salsa. God, we could talk about for hours. Mm-hmm. Random shit. First time I remember meeting you, Jerry, is was, I want to say, a wall of the mass. Like the opening loop of the, the Massachusetts loop or whatever. That was my first show. Around was in Waltham. Something like that. And I I, I I might be blanking on the town, but if you say it's Waltham, I, I'll believe you. Uh, and I go, 
I'm saying to myself, that guy looks a lot like Jerry Lynn. And I, I walk over, I go, hi, I'm, I'm Brian. He goes, hi, I'm Jerry Lynn. I marked the fuck out because, dude, I was such a fan of your work from, you know, every day I would watch Global. And I was a fan, big fan of you and uh, Waltman. And these guys were doing, like, doing this stuff, like, on ESPN that, like, I hadn't really even seen before, you know? It was, like, the coolest shit ever. And uh, it was always uh, so cool that you were, like, cool, cool. Because you meet, guys, you, you meet people that you go, I bet that guy's cool and the guy's kind of a dick. But, like, I was like, I met you and I thought you were going to be cool and you were actually cooler than, you know, I could ever imagine. And uh, I'm very fortunate, you know, I'm here all these years later talking, talking to you. I'm talking to Mikey and you know, we got Freeland here on the uh, the schmas, and uh, we're all hanging around talking about the shit we love. Yeah, because I I used when I was in WCW, I used to watch ECW at about two o'clock in the morning on some obscure network, and that's when I first saw you guys. And I was I was just right away I was just in love with the BWO and what you guys were doing, especially when you dressed up as Kiss, because I was a big Kiss mark too back in the day. Uh, Scott Hall told told me this. Like you, you're saying how you used to watch, you know, the shows. Like while you're on the road, Scott Hall told me that he would go up to. They would go after a show. They would go find a play, a bar and watch ECW, and uh, they were watching the PWO, and Hall would rib Kevin Ash saying, "Well, since the Blue Meanie is me, and technically he's the Blue Meanie leader of the Blue Word Order." I should be the leader of the New World Order. You know? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Nice. Uh, yeah, and, and I thought it was the, like, the coolest thing because, you know, I, I went up to those guys. I was like, hey, man, you know, first time I, I met Waltman, I was like, hey, man, I hope you guys didn't mind the NWO. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, we loved it. We loved it. And then I would also meet, you know, Scott Hall, Kevin Esch, hey, man, hope you guys didn't mind. They're like, no, nah, we thought it was fun. And, you know, invitations to serious you know, form of flattery and stuff like that. So, it's cool to get to do the parodies and then, you know, it's cool when you meet the people and they, and they wind up liking it and stuff like that. Uh, but you know, you said doing the kissing, that was probably, you know, other than the BWO, that was my favorite thing too, because initially the night before we were going to do that and the night before we did it in Lulu temple as a dry run and I had bought the wrong fucking makeup. I bought like grease paint and it was like summer and we're putting the shit on and it, 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 we're just sweating and the makeup's running. So we, we, we washed our faces off. We put on the makeup and we ran and hid in a meat locker. So we wouldn't sweat. They keep the fucking makeup on. So we had somebody come down, say, okay, time to go to the ring. And we would go from the meat locker up the steps and down the Lulu, you know, the steps to go to the ring. And we did the, uh, you know, kissed the night before. And then, like, you know, fucking, I almost put eyes out with my fucking nipples just running out of that fucking meat locker. <laughs> <laughs> excuse me, excuse me, Jesus. Then, can, can you give me another pack of hot dogs? <laughs> <laughs> it was like that scene in Airplane when they're, she's carrying the guitar and she's hitting everybody in the head all the way down the aisle. Meanie's <laughs> <laughs> nipples coming through. The night, the next night was even cooler because I found the right fucking face paint. But I was like, you know what? Fucking Gene spits blood. I mean, uh, well, he spits blood, but he also spits fire. But I'm not gonna spit fire. I can spit blood. And I'm a huge mark for fucking Great Muda. 
So when we hit the ring and you see me there and everything's going around, I wait for the opportunity. I fucking spray this huge, big red thing of mist up in the air as a, you know, not only a tribute to Gene Simmons, but my, you know, in my own mind, I was doing a a tribute to the the great Muda. We can twist your arm and and bring you back again, Meanie. Is that, is that good with you? I'd be fucking fantastic. I'd be fan-fucking-tastic. And how about Tricky McMommet? Hey, well, I'll see if she's up to it. Oh, I'll, see if, I'll see if she's up to it. She, you know, my my, uh, my tag team partner in life. She was my doppelganger, my stunt double down at WrestleCade. When, <laughs> when we redid the picture. Yeah, Dude, I, she got the big kick out of it, out of doing that. So, Dude, she had the, fact, had the hack one couple weeks ago was unbelievable oh yeah that was amazing the thing is she just does this for the people at home who don't you know don't know tricky mcvomit tricky mcvomit is my uh life mate tracy roots and she does like she likes doing cosplay and like we went down to wrestlecade and she did this really cool mikey whipwreck uh you know uh cosplay and uh, and then a couple weeks later, she wanted to be Sandman, you know, because Sandman was like breaking her balls. Because the one time she came as a, she came to a convention at Sexy Roadkill. He's like, "Girl, how is it the sexiest time you're dressed like fucking Roadkill?" Yeah. <laughs> 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 she she likes to shave her head and shit, and so uh, she's like, "You know what? Next time I see you, I'm going to be you." So she grew out her hair and she did the Sandman thing. And the coolest thing is like everybody knows Sandman's got the Bob wire tattoos and shit like that, up and down his arm. But he also, he also has the tattoo of his own face on his bicep. And, uh, she went out and bought tattoo, uh, printable tattoo paper. And she made a tattoo of her face for her arm. And instead of fucking Bob wire for her arm, it was all Christmas lights and it's around Christmas. And then she went and got these Singapore canes. I was like, you know what? If I was in ECW and I was doing a parody of Sandman around this time, it would be a, a Singapore candy cane. And she and she was like, holy shit. So she went and got the, uh, she, you know, duct taped it. She masked and taped it up and painted the Singapore cane up as like a candy cane stripe and stuff like that and put Christmas lights all over it. And we show up to the building and just to watch Sandman's reaction and watch him process of what he was looking at. And then like piece by piece, realizing she had the tattoos. Oh my God. Her tattoos are the Christmas. Like, Oh my gosh. She's got girl. You got your face on your arm. Ah. (laughs) Yeah. She's the MacGyver of cosplay. Dude. It's amazing. And like he he paid her the ultimate compliment. He's like, you know, I really wasn't, you know, in, in the mood to come out of the house today, but, he said, you know, watching her and do the cosplay, he said, he said, that just gave me the spark I needed to, you know, make my day. And that was like the coolest, you know, compliment, you know? So, yeah, she works really hard at that shit and she just does it for the fun of it. I mean, she should, I'm sure she can make money doing it, but she just does it for the love of it. And I'm proud of her. You know? She's hit a home run. Every time I've seen it, she's hit a home run with it. Oh, and she was great when yeah. she did the elf. That was awesome. You know, talking about just, Imitation being the sincerest form of flattery. What WWE recently did was they went ahead and they took the some of the biggest stars that were in ECW and they had their current performers 
dress up as them. Did you, Danny, you guys see that? Nope. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was just such a neat homage to everybody who was there. So you had, you had people who were um, Carmella. She dressed up as Al Snow with head, which was awesome to see. Um, Let's see. Who else did you have? You had, uh, was it Ruby Riot? She dressed up as Raven, which I thought was really, really can I, cool. Can I, inter- can I interject um, here? Did yes. anybody dress up as me? I I didn't then see fuck that. Well, I, I don't think I they could have topped. Uh, they couldn't have topped Tracy. <laughs> no, they could not right. have. But I, there right. was a a BWO, oh, uh, and that that yes, it was, and it was represented by Oscar. So it was oh, that's just cool. You know. How cool is that, though, Meanie, to to have something that you were a part of, you know, so many years down the road, people still remember it fondly. They still have great memories of it, and they're still continuing it on to this day. How does that make you feel looking back on, man, I really was a part of something special? It, it almost is almost like life coming full circle because here I was in ECW doing all the parodies of the guys in WWE. And then they had, you know, the paid homage to these W guys. And one of the coolest wrestler, one of my favorite wrestlers did, you know, the BWO. So, and the cool thing is, you know, I reached out to her and, you know, thanked her. We had a little interaction. Now she follows me on uh, Twitter and stuff like that. But I mean, just like the coolest thing ever was, and it's not like something you plan on, you know, seeing, you know, I just woke woke up one day and my, my fucking notifications on Twitter were like, I was like, holy shit, what happened? Somebody die. So uh, I'm fucking, <laughs> oh my God. that's true though. Yeah. That dude, that's, that's the word. It's like, if you're listening to a radio station, they play more than three songs of a, your favorite artist. You wonder if the, you know, the singer died or something like that, you know? Oh yeah. You know, back, back in the day. But, uh, and like everybody was sending me screen captures or, or links. And I was like, dude, that's the coolest shit right there. And I marked out for the, the other ones who did the, I guess my favorite one was Big E dressed as Joel Gertner. So that yes, was, that was hilarious. I was I'll go ahead and post cool. those on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please do, man. But uh, yeah, it was just like life coming full circle. You know, I went to do parodies and homages to all these wrestlers and then they turned around and did it. They, they had one for me, so that was pretty cool. I, I always prided and myself, always prided myself on being like the weird Al of wrestling. You know, it's so cool because when you go on a Twitter and you you pull up a GIF, half of them dancing with the ECW crowd, just losing their mind behind you. It's just so cool to see that. So definitely, definitely something that people still remember fondly, and people are still having fun with in 2018. So. Meanie, outside of Twitter, uh, and people can follow you at Blue Meanie BWO, and I highly recommend going ahead and following him. Where else can people get a hold of you, and uh, how can people reach out to you? Uh, you can follow me on, like you said, Twitter and Instagram at Blue Meanie BWO. Uh, you can, uh, if you want to support the Meanie, go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Blue Meanie and get one of yourself, one of those snazzy little BWO shirts. Or uh, there's a lot of shirts on there I designed myself, or, and there's some shirts that Tracy designed. Uh, my favorite one being unbooked catering. Yeah, because you, know, you, <laughs> you go you go to TV if you're not wrestling, you're hanging out and catering, so you're unbooked, unbooked catering. Uh, yeah, you can support me there. If not, uh, probably down in McCusker's having a couple cold ones. So you know, 
you know, 17th and chunk in uh, South Philly. But, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's where you can find me. Uh, hit me up on Twitter, give me a follow, and uh, we'll interact. So can I assume, is your next booking probably coming up WrestleMania weekend? Uh, right now, uh, uh, I'm currently scheduled for WrestleMania week that Wednesday uh, for WrestlePro. Uh, they're doing a show called Funny Equals Money. And uh, it's going to be a, uh, the whole show is full of, you know, the guys who are known for doing the comedy wrestling and stuff like that. As far as the uh, the main uh, WrestleCon, uh, I'm pretty sure me, Stevie and Nova will be there, uh, you know, signing autographs, kissing babies, all that good stuff. But uh, that's still tentative. So uh, that's why you got to follow me on Twitter and Instagram. So, uh, you know, and just keep, uh, keep following me and... Uh, I know where I'm going to be. Awesome. Like I said, follow him on Twitter. You can go ahead and interact with him on various social media areas. And uh, go ahead and cruise on over to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash BWO. Go ahead and get yourself a shirt. Meanie, thank you so much for taking time out of your night. Do appreciate that. Yeah, man. Guys, thanks for having me. This is a fucking, this is a blast. And uh, I love you guys. And uh, I love the show. And uh, continued success, please. Thanks, buddy. Love you too. We'll have you back on soon, though. Awesome. Awesome, dude. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it, brother. And go Eagles. Go Birds. <laughs> Thanks, Meanie. See you guys. Thanks. Bye. We're all here. Look at that. The last show, you guys uh, both fucking left me. You both uh, took a powder and let me close the damn That's thing. That's it. Bye. So we all, we, well, we you all... very offensive the last time. Who was very you. offensive? How was I offensive? I really don't remember. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this week in Front Row material. We want to thank our special guest, Blue Meanie. Once again, go ahead and buy a shirt for Blue Meanie, for Jerry, and for Mikey. It's Jerry Lynn on Twitter, Mikey Whiprick underscore. You can follow him. Jerry, is there anything else you want to throw out here? You've got to be shitting. Me. Now, he see? was literally just on the and, call. And you give me attitude. This motherfucker just, I didn't give this you this motherfucker just gets the beliefs every week. I do it one, I do it one time right. to give me shit. He does it every fucking week. I'm still here by myself. Seriously, I'm literally here by myself. Just talking for no reason. My dog is sleeping. I have my 1986 headphones on. Freeland's taking a tinky and taking a bath like a two-year-old. And I'm just going to sit here, rambling. I'll take some questions. Anybody have any questions? Nope, no questions. You have no idea, no way to ask me questions. I'm going to ask you questions. If you have questions, ask me on Twitter. Ask me some questions. But being this episode is going to be recorded now and then played in two weeks, I'm not going to get you questions for at least two weeks. So I'm going to be sitting here waiting for you.